from the high desert in Far East West Texas, this is the world's fastest growing sports media podcast with that sports TV ratings. Hi, I'm Robert Seidman, and before getting the call with Ryan, where we talk a lot about NFL ratings, can I interest you in an essay on, well, NFL ratings? I am still struggling to wrap my brain around the idea that after an 8% year-over-year declines in NFL viewing consumption in 2016 and a 10% year-over-year drop in 2017, that if the Super Bowl ratings are down 5% or, God forbid, 10%, that's some kind of a major news story. That struggle has led me to do a lot of rambling, and I do plenty of it on the call with Ryan, too, but hopefully I'm starting to finally get to some clarity. I do get that a lot of people are interested in the NFL rating stories, and you'll hear Ryan explain that aspect of it pretty well on the call. There are a lot of uh, constituencies who think they know the reasons why the NFL ratings are down, and anything that confirms those biases will inspire them to write about it. And uh, I do get that something can be news. NFL ratings are down is news without offering any future predictive value. If the Super Bowl ratings go down, that's news. But if it doesn't offer any future predictive value, is it big, big, big news? Or is it merely the schadenfreude weather forecast brought to you by Nabisco? For what it's worth, I don't have a problem with the schadenfreude weather forecast brought to you by Nabisco. Because, come on, that report has been entertaining mankind since time immemorial. But I think there's some disservice in calling that big news instead of what it is, which is something much, much closer to the schadenfreude weather forecast brought to you by Nabisco. Uh, Ryan and I also talk about Dallas uh, Cowboys owner Jerry Jones's comment that uh, what I know is when ratings drop, rights fees go up. That, as my friend Bill Gorman at TV Gormooper on Twitter likes to say, is cause and effect with the crazy, which is Bill's label for the irrational cause and effect fans of TV shows come up with regarding show cancellations and renewals. And uh, for Bill, this was just a uh, Jerry Jones special edition of that brand of crazy. And uh, on the call, Ryan Glassbeagle does appropriately blast the quote. And it's worth blasting because, of course, the rights fees would probably be even higher if the ratings weren't down. And although there are reports that ad revenue was actually up small single digits despite the ratings declines, that too would surely look better if ratings weren't declining. Uh, So, no, I don't think things are so rosy just because rights fees and maybe ad revenue keep going up uh, despite ratings declines. But Jerry Jones's comments and the current trends do sort of highlight that things aren't nearly as dire as the darkest and stormiest of the schadenfreude weather forecast brought to you by Nabisco might have you believe. Things aren't optimal, but is it the end of the world as we know it? If nothing else, whatever the new Thursday night football rights fees are, they'll shut up the uh, rights bubbleists for a while. Spoiler, it will not shut up the rights bubbleist for a while. And uh, I'm not saying that I think Roger Goodell should put his feet up on the desk, pop in the AirPods, and play Kenny Loggins' I'm All Right on a loop. I'm just saying that if he wanted to do that for a day or two, I'm not sure I'd blame him. On to the call with Ryan. Hi, I'm Robert Seidman, and back on the podcast for the 4,000th time. And one of my brother's favorite guests is the big leads, Ryan Glassbeagle. Ryan also has his own podcast uh, called The Glass Half Empty. And uh, recent guests, I think just just uh, yesterday, we're taping this on Wednesday, include Barstool CEO Erica Nardini and uh, ESPN. She was good. She was good. And ESPN's uh, Cassidy Hubberth. Ryan, welcome back to the podcast. Thank you. I appreciate your having me. And thank you to robert's brother who is apparently um a distant admirer of your so 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 uh, i i haven't prodded him like i'm i'm sure he's listened to other podcasts but uh he has singled out you 
uh, uh, Golf Channel's Molly Solomon and uh, NBC uh, Digital Chief uh, Rick Cordella as uh, as, well, that's as, good as, company to keep. Yeah, you're 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 running with the bigs, so uh, that, that is, <laughs> that is uh, good for you. So, you know, last week uh, I had on Richard Deitch and Anthony Krupe, and uh, both of them were pretty resolute that even like a small, say five percent year over year decline in Super Bowl ratings would be news. And uh, you know, the eleven percent or so decline that it would take to push average viewership back under the one hundred million. Uh, viewer threshold and you know back to 2009 levels would be huge news and uh, while I agree with uh, Richard that it's very easy to imagine uh, the headlines and think pieces that would result if any of that happens uh, even forgetting you know the the playoff declines that we know about so far on the heels of a regular season where consumption you know declined eight percent in 2016 versus 2015 and then another uh, 10% in 2017 versus 2016. I have trouble with the idea that those sort of declines would be surprising or truly big news. I'm just wondering where you come down on that. I think any NFL declines are big news because there is a faction of people out there who want to ascribe the issue to one single thing, whether that is anthem protests or quality of play or refereeing or lackluster quarterback play. Uh, there's just like so many people that are um, searching for like a single variable narrative that if like there's really 5% or more, I think I'll agree with them that that becomes a pretty large story. Uh, well, so again, I don't doubt that it will be a large story, but that, you know, the thing that I struggle with is, um, you know, so in this particular example, so let's say it happens. Let's say it's, let's say it's down 10 percent. Let's just say it's, it gets down to around 100 million. And, um, you know, at that point, um, there are a lot of people who do think I, I don't know how many. I don't know if it's most, but there's certainly uh, a lot of people who think and, and it, it has kind of borne out that the Super Bowl is impervious to this sort of thing. And uh, so, sure, if it goes down, we will know that the Super Bowl is not impervious uh, to, to the ratings decline, but, but we won't really know anything else. And as far as like which narrative to pick as a result, you know, it's, it's going to be whichever, whichever one you love the most. Right. I mean, we're not really going to know more if that happens. So you, you wrote, yeah, something. yeah. So you, yeah. So you had tweeted out that, um, you know, your one, one of your early experiences was with the all, which I think announced yesterday or some sometime in the last week or so that they, they would be shutting down uh, the all.com at the end of January. And uh, one of the things that's interesting to me and all the uh, this thing is dying narratives are, you know, whether it's broadcast TV is dying or TV is dying or the NFL is dying or ESPN is dying. Um, you know, these these kind of narratives never really account for how much more time it takes, even even if the idea is right, how much more time it takes to actually die than, uh, you know, it's, it, you know, so that they, if the NFL goes to 100 million viewers in the Super Bowl, there will be a lot of the NFL is dying narratives, but the NFL will be dying, you know, with a, you know, with whatever the biggest telecast possible in the United States is. And that, you know, that, that, that's a, that's a weird kind of dying to me on, on, but on the other hand, back to the all, like, I don't really remember in 2012 and I was, you know, deep in 
web publishing, you know, uh, for income at that time, I don't remember a lot of stories about web publishing dying. And and now here we are with the uh, with the with the all is dead, and you know, the all really is dead. The the, the all was writing those stories in 2013, <laughs> 2014, 2015. Uh, so I, there was a guy. I it. There was a guy named John Herman who was running the site at the time who got hired by the New York Times in the same David Carr fellowship that um, Greg Howard was hired for. Right, who was right. writing about all the dangers of marrying yourself to Facebook's algorithm and having your platform or having your traffic dependent on a whimsical platform. So uh, it is it, like, and so he, he's no longer there and he wasn't able to push the site into a different enough direction where like they were able to kind of get engagement at a scale that you need nowadays. But right. if, if any, but if any person or outlet was writing those stories about the dangers of the Facebook algorithm. It was them. Yeah. So I, I think like I, I bailed out right before that happened. Uh, and so I, I probably missed those stories, but you know, a, 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 anyway, you know, sort of back to the broader point in these, in these dying narratives that the timing really does matter. Right. And so if the Super Bowl is somehow indicative, let's say it goes down more than 5%. And if that is somehow, you know, indicative, it's obviously indicative that the ratings are declining. Um, but if that's somehow indicative of something else, it, we really don't know what that something else is. And so that's, that's sort I have of my pushback. Okay, go for it. Um, I have no way to prove this. And I've brought it up with people and they are like, it's not like it, that it's a, it's a compliment product, not a substitute product. I think people are spending way more time playing video games than they used to be in the past. And I think that some of the TV viewership is going to Netflix. So I think like th th there's all these narratives that the NFL is actually not down as much as TV. I think that people are like, they're either on like Snapchat or they're watching Netflix or they're playing video games. And like, it's not like, 10% of the population just decided to start skiing this year. And yeah. like they're he, the, the people who are like my age in their thirties are, I think playing video games later into their life than they were in previous generations. And if you look at stats on video game players, the average age of a gamer is like 35 and it, that kind of astonished me because I stopped playing video games pretty much at the end of high school, which really wasn't a result of me thinking that I had better things to do with my time. I just couldn't spatially adjust to when Xbox took video games from 2D into 3D, and I was so bad at them that it was too frustrating <laughs> to play. But I do, uh, I, there are a lot of people, I have a lot of, like I have friends who play video games 30, 40 hours a week. And so I, I believe that that has had an impact on television consumption in a way that hasn't necessarily been fleshed out. So of, of all the stuff that, that you just mentioned, the, the one that, that rings truest to me is probably Netflix. 
And uh, I think you could, you could probably dig up data uh, or have some custom reporting done. Um, and, and I think, you know, you would see, you would see the very clear migration, uh, uh, you know, to, to Netflix or sort of building steam somewhere like, you know, building steam enough to, to really start hurting the, the broadcast TV and, and cable uh, TV networks you know, somewhere around 2015. Look up um, sales but, but, stats for the Nintendo Switch. Were those people playing video games a year ago? I don't know. But I think that point. video game up to I think video game playing is on the up. No, that is that that will uh, that will be good for all the E League and the Overwatch and all that stuff. Uh, so, um, I think you also you you had tweeted out a couple things about the uh, about the Larry Nasser trial, and I, I want to talk a little bit about that because I, I saw what I perceived as some some pushback that the media and the sports media weren't doing enough on that story. Yeah, that's um, absurd. And see, see that, that, that felt absurd to me too. And, um, and, and, but I, I was leaning on you to maybe have the, uh, the angle on, on why they think that is so. Cause, cause to me, you know it just why they looks... think it's they're They're mad well, at the public. They're not mad at the media because the media has been covering this. It's been in every mainstream, um, publication, ESPN, has run it on outside the lines. They've covered it on sports center. It's been an SI Washington post USA today. The Michigan local media has been covering this story for years and years and years. If anything, the media has, and this is a observation brought up in our internal slack by our managing editor, Jason Lisk is if anything, the media has been covering this story disproportionately to the public interest in it. And I think that people that the people who are saying the media isn't covering it enough, they might be mad that it's not been, I don't know, the A block of Sports Center for a lot of days, or it's not like front and center of ESPN.com. But the media is covering this and then the public isn't responding to the stories with the requisite interest to um like to yield better placement and it goes it it goes back to really an argument that like jason mcintyre has had for years and years and years an analogy not an argument where in in web publishing there's junk food which is aaron Rodgers dating danica patrick and then there's vegetables which is (laughs) the larry nasser child i'm not trying to like denigrate reporting on that story or say that it's not important, but you need to have a balance in terms of giving your audience what they want and what they need. And it's, if, if you're ESPN and you have this front and center of your website and that real estate and people aren't clicking it, you're losing a business opportunity. So I don't think that the media has, not done a good job covering this. It's been everywhere. I just don't think the public is responding to it in a way that people would hope for. Yeah. So how much do you think the, uh, um, I, I don't know if resentment is the right word, but you know, the notion that it's not getting enough attention is really just kind of tied directly to the, uh, to the idea that, that really, uh, USA gymnastics won't even fake being, repentant over this i mean they're they're you know yeah you know like usa gymnastics in michigan state no one ever does a good job 
when they're the institutions who have pretty like apparently covered up just a gruesome scandal. And you, from a human empathetic perspective, you'd really like to see them come out every day, like pour their heart on the table, expressing their self guilt. But if they do that, they open themselves up to just untold civil liabilities. And they're probably being told by their, um, by their councils to just release these boilerplate statements. And that really does make them look like they lack humanity. Right. Right. Yeah. I, so I, 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 you know, my sense is, is that it's, it's that lack of humanity is that's feeding the frustration about the, you know, that, that sense that, that, you know, no, nobody's really getting dinged appropriately on this uh, other than maybe Nasser uh, is, is fueling the, uh, the angst about uh, not getting enough coverage. Um, so, so what's your take on, on how this plays out over time? Like in uh, say in six months, um, how do you think that, you know, some of the people who, who are upset over the coverage that this is getting, how do you think they'll feel in six months? I, I don't know. I can't put myself into their mind. I, I, it seems like this story has such a critical mass now that some of the ablers are going to just be like tarred and feathered. And that feels like where the story is going is more, um, not just reporting because the reporting has been out there. I don't, I can't name specific names of like who these enablers are, but it's pretty clear that he had many of them at Michigan state and the U S gymnastics, but we're going to start seeing those people get brought out and stoned in public. Right. Right. So, um, switching, switching gears. And the Dan Wetzel column yesterday was pretty indicative of where that's going with those people. Right. Right, right. So, um, uh, switching gears, and there's no no easy way to jump off that topic, I guess. But uh, you know, I, I noticed that you're you're starting to do uh, not just with the big lead, uh, you, but you are doing with the big lead some video uh, multimedia. And uh, I think I I saw you, uh, you know, on a I don't know ten or fifteen minute uh, segment on uh, was it WGN? Yeah, I've I've been going on that WGN show. Well, it's, so it's WGN's local affiliate CLTV. And that's a show that's hosted by Jarrett Payton, who's Walter Payton's son, who he played running back at Miami, and he, he's, he, he briefly made it to the NFL. And then also a local media um, anchor named Josh Friedman. And I've been going on that show for about two and a half years now. I've probably been on it 12 to 15 times. And they, I really, they're, they're really gracious about having me on and they put over my jokes and uh, they, they have me on to talk a lot about, sometimes I have to a little bit, uh, not fake my way through talking about the bears, but I don't know the bears as well as they do. But right. when, when we talk about general NFL or Packers stuff, then I think I feel like more comfortable in those conversations. So you know the 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 at least the one that I saw you in the 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 set is is kind of strange, right? So you you're not talking to the camera, you're talking to the other people. I'm just wondering, like, uh, how how self conscious are you in that setup? Because it's kind of I just cramped. have no idea you, what to do with with where I'm supposed to look. And I well, I've sent that I've sent my appearances on that show to various people, and they're like, you're not looking at the camera enough, or you're not looking at the other people enough, and I don't. 
I, I go in there without having a producer in my ear about where to look. Right. So my, my just, I just try to be as comfortable in the conversation as possible and hope that it captures it right. But I recognize that I have no idea what I'm doing in terms of where I'm supposed to be looking. <laughs> so, I mean, so the, the set looks like so strange that it looks like, um, it looks like you're not capable of like, uh, moving your hands around as much as you want to without accidentally smacking someone. So, so like when I'm watching you, I'm looking at it's like, you know, he, he wants to move his right hand, but he's holding it back. And, uh, so well, it's, so it's also, it's, it's also me being conscious of different advice that I've gotten from different people because Jerry Madawan, who for years and years and years was a talent coach at ESPN is he, he told me you want to be animated. You want, to be enthusiastic. You want to have your hands moving and your body moving and throw everything into the takes. And then other people are like, you're doing it too much. So I, I try to find a happy medium with it where it looks natural, but I don't think I've succeeded with that yet. Yeah. So I don't, I don't know if, uh, I don't know if you heard uh, Richard Deitch's podcast with his uh, under 30 round table. Um, but that, you know, that Richard was just kind of getting into the, the point that, you know, they got to do a lot of different stuff than, than, uh, you know, than, than people, you know, people my age had to do back in the day. Um, and, and, uh, you know, that you've got to do all the multimedia stuff. And I, I'm just wondering like what kind of stress that, that puts on you both from, uh, both from like a figuring out like how you're going to, how you're going to, uh, put your stake in the ground in, in the sports media and, and just finding the time for it all. Um, the time part isn't that hard for me. I've because I work from home and that eliminates having to get ready for work and having to commute. Anybody who has like a 45 minute work commute or something like that is losing two hours in the day between showering and get it, driving there and traffic and things right. of that nature. So I have an abundance of time. It's just the, the fact that I've, I've like tried to start doing broadcasting things with my podcast and going on television a little bit and doing that Periscope show that we do on the big weed generally after big events, but we also do them on a lot of weekdays. It, it's I, it's putting myself out there for public consumption when I know that I'm not as talented at it as a lot of other people are. So. Like, for example, with that Erica Nardini podcast, somebody in the Barstool Reddit page, like, commented that the host was unbearable. And, <laughs> like, I don't, I'm sorry, man. I didn't go to broadcasting school. I'm trying my best at this. I'm not a smooth communicator, at least as not much as I'd like to be yet. But I do like to think that... I'm able to provide enough interesting content that it covers for some of my broadcasting work, but that might just be wishful thinking. So, uh, you know, I, I, um, I think I listened to your podcast from the beginning and, uh, I, I think actually you have made, uh, at least on the podcasting side, a, uh, a, a, a good bit of progress and actually use that as, as my benchmark for how I'm progressing. And unfortunately uh, on that relative barometer, I'm not very happy with my performance, but uh, I, I think you have, uh, you've come a long way. It's, and it's interesting because, you know, I see you as someone uh, who, who is, is very favorable and even a, a fan or at least a fan of some of, uh, of some of Barstool's stuff uh, that, uh, that, uh, that they would take you to task 
uh, over, well, the, he said I was trying to sound like I knew too much about Barstool and that I was hooking her up to a polygraph test, which I think was probably my last question. But, uh, it, you know, it, it wasn't that he thought I wasn't a fan of Barstool. It's just that I wasn't smooth, which I'm not. And I appreciate no. your saying that I've improved. But I know that, like, if you look at some of the people who have, like, made their way to ESPN or Fox Sports, it's a long way to go by that benchmark. So, uh, you know, uh, you, you started out as writing. I mean, is, 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 is the writing still the, the biggest joy for you or, or, or do you love the, doing the other stuff too? Would you, would you like to do more TV if you could do more TV? Well, I'd like to do more TV because that's where you make the most money. And <laughs> I, I'm, uh, I'm rapidly approaching the, I, I hope this isn't too much information, but I'm rapidly approaching the period where uh, my wife is like, okay, we're not getting any younger. It, it's time to start a family. And I don't blame her for that. I'd like to be more professionally secure than I am, which isn't to say that I think I'm going to lose my job or anything in the next six months. It's that this is an industry that's very difficult for everybody. And I don't know that there's very many people that feel that they're on totally steady ground. And right. so I've been really conscious about trying to build into broadcasting for that reason, because the I, 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 I'll, I'll confess to not having heard um, Deitch's podcast with the under 30 year olds, but my philosophy is that you need multiple paychecks. So you need a, a paycheck for writing and a paycheck for broadcasting. And maybe I could somehow get my podcast sponsored. It, like my, my two to four year goal is hopefully I can get my podcast sponsored somehow and hopefully I could get some sort of weekend or regular fill-in role at some radio station whether it's a local station somewhere talking local sports which is really where I think the future is going I think sports media is reverting from national back to local in terms of where the focuses are you can see that with ESPN paying 20 billion dollars or more to acquire the Fox Sports RSNs, or to get something on like I don't know, serious like Mad Dog Radio on Saturdays, or something like that would be really ideal over the next couple of years for me. But I, right. to answer so, your question about writing, I do get the biggest joy out of writing, and if I thought that I could really self-sustain a long-term career just being a writer, that might be where I would have like, that might be where my whole focus is. Right. Right. So you, 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 you actually just reminded me about, uh, about uh, bringing up the Fox and the, and the RSNs and stuff that, uh, that uh, everybody seems now to be bidding on uh, Thursday night football, including Fox, which complained that uh, Thursday night football was diluting their Sunday product. Well, that was uh, and ABC Murdoch. and ABC is leaving the company. Right, right. So, but, but, and, and, and even ABC is getting in on it. And I, I you probably didn't see this because it was right before we started taping, but I, I tweeted out some article. I think it was from, uh, from the Fort Worth Star, um, the, that, uh, you know, had, had Jerry Jones saying, all, all, all I know is that when ratings go down, rights fees go up, uh, which I, which I kind of found amusing. So, so back, circling back to the, the to the NFL ratings, what, do, what does any of it really mean in, in a world where everyone is going to bid up 
the uh, the Thursday night package probably, and uh, and and, and uh, Jerry Jones is probably correct in saying that uh, that uh, ratings go down, but right trees go up. They well, okay, that's true. The ratings are going down, and we've seen that the advertising revenue for NFL. They say that it's gone up this year over last year, but. I still think that it's probably short of their projections for this year. First yeah, of all, yeah. So on the, I'm all, really all, the so Ryan, more, Ryan. So I'm I'm only talking here about uh, not ad revenue, but the the rights fees themselves, right? So yes, the the networks have the ratings problem, and maybe it's a problem, but uh, they do say that uh, you know small single digit increases, uh, even while the ratings were down in advertising revenue, uh, but. Uh, but uh, the the increases on the rights fees are, are you know a much bigger deal I think from the NFL's perspective. Okay, yeah, but the the increases would be greater if they um, if if they had higher viewers. It, it's the the fact of the matter is is that it's difficult in this current environment for advertisers to find placement where they can reach 10 million people at a time. And the NFL right. more than, especially more than any other sporting institution and really more than any other television institution at this point in an era where the most talented show creators are making shows for HBO and Netflix and Showtime and stars where their shows aren't interrupted by ads and they can really have a lot of license to do whatever they want with their television programs. Um, there aren't the type of shows that on TV that can command that type of audience and therefore that type of advertising figure. But to suggest that it wouldn't be even greater rights fees, which then get sold to advertisers if the ratings weren't down seems kind of ridiculous. And I could see a scenario because in that Bloomberg story about Fox bidding for the rights, they talked about Fox submitting multiple bids, including bids that included FS1. Now, if they're going to have Thursday night football on FS1, that means you would have to think that they're not going to air Thursday night football on NFL network. Right. that's something that's hard to imagine to keep an eye on because could the NFL sacrifice owning and distributing their own games on the NFL network in exchange for making the rights fees for Thursday night football rise? And we'll have to wait and see. Yeah. Get based, based on the carriage for NFL network and, and the, uh, the affiliate fees for that. I will be shocked if there's any scenario where uh, NFL Network is not still simulcasting the games. And I agree with you totally. That doesn't make any sense to do a simulcast with FS1. Yeah, so we're, we're going to have to see where this goes. And we're not going to have to wait that long. This is coming up in two to three weeks. We're going to find right. out where these games are going. And I don't remember if I speculated on this last time I was on, but... The fact that leaks came out about ABC and Fox bidding in the same week really makes you wonder if CBS is going to keep this package. Because unlike those other three networks, CBS, now it's not beating the NFL with like CSI or any of these other shows. I don't even know what their shows are, which is bad because they advertise them. Uh, NCIS, The Big Bang Theory, Young Sheldon. 
whatever they are, those they their 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 shows are beating those shows on NBC, Fox, and ABC. So yep. from uh, from a relative valuation perspective, it's not as dire for CBS to lose that audience on Thursday nights as as ABC and Fox apparently seem desperate to gain it. Yeah, but it's it's really interesting, you know, with the with the comments on dilution of the Sunday product. I think the best way for CBS to stay whole is to is to keep it. Um, I will be surprised if it doesn't stay the same if it's not uh, still uh, CBS and NBC. Uh, and the and the other thing that's in there, for I, C- I'd be willing for, to bet you a dollar Fox picks up the rights. Okay, I will go. I'll go ten dollars that uh, Fox okay. won't pick up the rights. So, we will. So, we'll, uh, that we we've got a deal. This is not uh, podcast history, but. <laughs> <laughs> So we'll, we will we'll we'll see what happens. But the, you know the the one piece of it, um, and, I, and I think I have this right, is that the uh, you know that that the Thursday ride holders, both NBC and CBS in the in the current season, they they get an extra playoff game as a result of having the Thursday package, right? So CBS wouldn't just be giving up the uh, the six or whatever number it is five Thursday games they'd also be given up one playoff game I don't know how much that really matters to them uh, but I, I think that's in the mix of uh, of things that they would be giving up uh, I I think Fox is going to get involved somehow the the um, the the persuasiveness of the language in that Bloomberg piece made me believe that they're going to do it. Well, it will be, you know, would, the most interesting thing would actually be if ABC did it, because that would just freak people out between the, the ABC and the ESPN stuff. Um, but, but, but while we're on that topic, so where are you right now today uh, in, uh, I guess it's uh, after 2021, where will Monday Night Football be in the, uh, in the next rights contract? Oh, God. Man, so much has to happen. We have to figure out who the next head of ESPN is, of which we haven't really been given very many clues. And uh-huh, I think ESPN <laughs> keeps it because as compelling as it is that Jim Miller's narrative where they would then become bidders for the SEC and the NHL and whatever else, it, that their affiliate fee is so tied to having Monday night football and I don't see another network getting to the $1.9 billion number that ESPN is currently paid. And so I believe that this was kind of a negotiating tactic against the NFL and that they're going to keep it, but it's going to come down to the last minute. Yep. I, I uh, so I, I I kind of agree with that down the line. I think whatever happens, it'll come down to the last minute. But I, I think it'll be uh, it'll be ESPN that's keeping that. There's there's one piece, and I, you know I don't know the specifics. Apparently, there's something in the language of the deal that they did with Altis that uh, that if they lost Monday Night Football. The, the the regression of the affiliate fee isn't as you know I've gotten wind that the the regression if they lose Monday Night Football doesn't fall back as as far as people might think but well, you know well, I don't know that's one whether... cable provider who knows what they're going to exactly. do with Comcast or exactly. Verizon or Directv like 
just because they were able to get one of their partners to agree to that. And the partner might have been doing that as a little bit of a way to give them leverage because they're kind of in this together. ESPN and the cable company don't want the NFL rights fees to rise because ultimately those costs get borne by the cable company's customers. Right. Uh, I just, yeah, it, it, it it, it doesn't that doesn't strike me as a silver bullet that they want that ESPN wants to use. Right. So I'll get you out of here. Uh, you know, uh, plug plug your latest podcast with Erica. What, what were the highlights for you? She she did a good job answering about whether or not the positives and negatives of bars still getting acquired. Now she said she really seemed to make it that they really want to make sure that any purchaser will stay true to the brand and that they don't want to have some of the hurdles that BuzzFeed and Vice have had recently where they miss revenue targets. And now the venture capital or other institutional investors are starting to put pressure on them in terms of how they operate. If, if there's some company, let's say it's like AT&T, and I'm picking AT&T because there was a story in THR a year or two ago that if the AT&T-Time Warner merger went through, then Peter Chernin would be a strong candidate to be head of content for that conglomerate. Let's say all those things happen, and they've got Chernin, who owns a majority stake in the company now, as the key decision maker for the direction of the content for a company of that size, if the merger goes through, you're telling me that Barstool wouldn't want to be acquired at a valuation of over a hundred million dollars. We'll have to wait and see. But if, if that merger goes through and he gets that position, then that would be a very logical place for them to use Dave Portnoy's metaphor to go to the moon. Right. And so that is the Glass Half Empty podcast. Uh, check it out on uh, wherever you wherever you listen to podcasts. Ryan, I'll, I'll ask your question. Any Anything you want to talk about that I didn't ask you about? Uh, well, you know, it's we've talked about this a bunch of times, but Get Up is coming in April. And I know this was a gamble made by John Skipper, but. They put a lot of money into Greenberg, Beatle, Jalen, that New York studio. And how much can that be Sage Steel stick to Sports Center by? And how much does it have to beat it by year over year right, to right. make it worth it? I've we talked about it before, but that's just a subject that's going to fascinate me. And then we have a new writer. So, so do you, uh, Ryan, do do you think there's any way, I mean, will you be anything but surprised if, uh, if the show actually, you know, is like, is, is doing like, you know, I don't know, uh, 800,000 viewers out of the gate. Yeah. I'll be astonished. Yeah. Me too. Yeah. Maybe the first day or two for people tuning in to see what's up, but like two weeks in or like, it, let's say June, July post, like it's NBA free agency, but the games are over. How many people are tuning into that? We'll see. Yeah. What do you, you know, I, I haven't looked at the, the full slate of last week's numbers yet, but I saw that, uh, you know, even undisputed, like did 175,000 on Friday, which for that show on a Friday, 
is uh is pretty good so what does what does you know if i if with the with the muscle that uh, get up has behind it what 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 does it have to do to not look bad if uh, if first take looks good with 100 or excuse me if undisputed looks good with 175k on a friday what does get up need get up needs to i don't know the numbers off the top of my head but they need to be year over year they need to beat sage steel sports center by 15% to have any type of narrative that i would buy right yeah, I have to. I, you know what? I will. I'll dig up some of those numbers for the next time, and uh, we'll we'll we'll, uh, we'll pin that down. I, I cut you off. You had one more thing you wanted to throw. But we we've got a new part time writer, Bobby Burak. He's still in college. He wrote a piece last night for the Big Lead on who he ranked the ten people most likely to be the face of ESPN in five years. I had some disagreements with him on it, but I thought that was a bold piece for him to take on. And anyone who's listening to this, I presume, would be interested in seeing his logic. What's what's the uh, what's the headline of the piece? Who will be ESPN? Who will be the face of ESPN in five years? Got it. So uh, I will I will Google that. Ryan, thanks for joining the podcast. Thanks for having me. We'll do this again soon. Thanks again to Ryan for joining the podcast. You can find him on Twitter via at Sports Report. That's S-P-O-R-T-S-R-A-P-P-O-R-T. And uh, I did crunch the numbers for the 7 to 10 a.m. sports centers uh, last April to uh, see what the benchmarks will be for Get Up in its first week. And the bar is pretty low. The 7 to 10 a.m. sports centers averaged 317,000 viewers the week of April 3rd to April 7th, 2017. And uh, tacking on Ryan's getup should be 15% better than that tax. Getup would need to average around 365,000 viewers in its first week. You can find all the past podcasts on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, TuneIn, Stitcher, RSS, and SportsTVRatings.com. Thanks for listening.